Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, DJ Shannon. And on this show, we talk to artists, DJs, and industry professionals about how they're changing their community through music. You can listen to the show on any platform like SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Just type Club Management. And this is episode 77. Episode 77 of Club Management has arrived. My apologies for last week. I know that uh, a new episode was supposed to drop, but I had a bit of a family emergency that I needed to tend to. Uh, all is well, but I have to say this month has been one giant roller coaster for sure. Um, yeah, between family emergencies, unexpected things just popping up left and right. It has been a whirlwind, but you know what? There are so many exciting things that lie ahead, so it's pretty hard to stay down. I got to I gotta say, I'm, I'm coming out victorious uh, with every punch, um, so that's really, really good. June, in particular, is loaded with so many great parties, and I'm going to be playing at a lot of venues for the first time. So check this out. I'm going to be playing at Jolene Sound Room later on this month for a pride party that uh, the wonderful Jay and Varsha are going to be throwing there. And I'm really excited. I've heard a lot of great things about their sound system. Haven't had a chance to visit yet. So this is going to be a proper introduction. And then in July, I can finally tell you, I've been holding on to this for so long, by the way, I am going to be playing my very first Boiler Room event. Very first Boiler Room debut for Shannon. Clap it up. Woo! (laughs) I'm so excited. And I'm going to be playing with so many heavy hitters during this event. We've got club management alum, DeVoy, Lovey, uh, Dr. Jeep, who has also been on the show. What? It's going to be insane. Bonkers from room to room. Um, and I'm just floored. I can't believe that, um, you know, I, I was invited to play and I'm so excited. This is a bit of a full circle moment for me as someone who has spiraled down a rabbit hole, looking at other people's boiler rooms, you know, just watching them work the decks, stealing songs from sets. <laughs> this is a really, really dope moment for me. Um, you know, it, the event's not going to be recorded, um, but I'm just excited to be a part of it anyways, because it's a boiler room, you know, like who wouldn't? So thank you so much to anyone that has sent congratulatory messages or you know have sent me kind words i really appreciate that um i can't wait to smash it but i gotta share some bad news with you now that i've gotten all my good news out of the way i am going to be going on a bit of a hiatus with club management after this episode to focus on a few family matters and to re-up on more incredible stories um I'll be taking an indefinite hiatus too, you know? I need time to just hit the road, play some incredible shows, and meet some more awesome music communities that are out there. And I had been wanting to do this for a while, but obviously COVID presented uh, challenges. I don't think I told you, but before I left China, I was gearing up to go on a huge tour across Asia, and that all fell flat. And I think I was nervous about, um, you know, 
putting those plans together again or nervous about the idea of touring again just because it was pretty crushing to have all of these really great things going on and then everything just stopped so suddenly but I am ready I feel so confident uh, confident to step into this light and this power that I have and I really just want to go out there play meet some incredible people and then bring back more stronger bigger stories for you uh for this next part of the year so give me a little grace i'm going to be doing that uh and i can't wait to um share what i come up with but before we go on break i'm leaving you with a long-awaited interview that i had with the incomparable dj producer and writer elijah If you're on Instagram, you may see Elijah posting his world-famous yellow squares. They're filled with his thoughts about the music industry and provide thought-provoking tips for DJs and producers on how to navigate the industry's complicated and rugged terrain. From the power of collaboration to music sustainability, every day the busy artist takes to the platform with a new idea that inspires everyone to think outside of the box. Elijah knows far too well how the music industry's complexities can prevent creatives from making or pursuing the art or career that they want, alongside his partner, Skillium. Elijah spearheaded the iconic label, Butters, home to heavy-hitting artists like Flava D and Royal T, all while churning out his own banging releases. Now, the star is bringing the content of his yellow squares to his new album, Make the Ting, out June 30th alongside Grime MC Jams. Into the furnace. Now he's moving, walls are returning. Drive stronger, there's no reversing. You don't need ways when you're led by a wire because your destination just feels more certain. And now you're sat now the music guru spoke to me about his origin story, shifting from DJing to music management. The incredible opportunities that have emerged since he launched his Yellow Square project in 2020 and what listeners can expect on Make the Ting. Listen to this. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat. Um, honestly, a huge, huge fan of what you're doing with Make the Ting, um, what you have done with Butters, your production. Um, and yeah, just got a chance to actually see your lot radio set the other day, which was really nice as well. So thank you for all that you do in the community and really an honor to be chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, and thanks for reaching out. And that's why I thought I'd get back. I just not too long got back from New York so reminded me to reach back out but actually let's back things up because you're doing so much in and outside of the industry uh but I'm curious to hear about your background story I feel like the canvas of your story has really been grounded in grime but just by looking at that lot radio set you just played so many different genres from ballet funk dance you know dance music uh oriented tracks so yeah, tell me about a little bit about your early experiences with music uh, and, yeah, how that kind of informs what you're doing now today. Yeah, so I grew up in London and uh, East London, and uh, I guess I grew up on, like, Pirate Radio, which mm-hmm. is our uh, kind of – it was, a, like, an illegal broadcasting system. So, um, like, you, the DJs on there would be, like, playing dancehall and jungle UK garage and then eventually grime and grime was kind of born at, when I was like in my early teens. Mm. Um, but that was the, I guess the music that I'm most like known for playing because I felt like that was the music 
um, I could actually like contribute to and kind of influence because that was my generation's music. Mm-hmm. But I grew up on all the other stuff too. And I was in the clubs when, you know, dubstep broke and UK funky and all of the adjacent like labels and, um, you know, people that became big. I was there at these clubs that people talk about plastic people, um, you know, forward and mm-hmm. all of these things. I've lived in London my whole life. So um, I've absorbed them and I enjoyed them, but I just never played them. Like, grime was my focus just, you know, like if you were going to a buffet or like a, a dinner party or something, yeah. it was like I was bringing the gram to the party. I wasn't bringing like, I don't know, like a fruit salad or a trifle or something. It was like <laughs> I was bringing something very specific, but I did like other stuff. Um, and now um, that I just, um, just, I'm trying to find my feet as a DJ again. It's like, okay. Yeah. Obviously root still using grime is like maybe like the spine of what I do but then mm-hmm. throwing other things that are kind of complementary that I'm feeling out there right now that I think are good and and yeah like I was the reason why I was playing so much of the ballet funk is because I, I just come from Brazil mm-hmm. so um, that's what that's that's why so I wanted to connect the dots there yeah. yeah, it totally made sense. Um, I want to jump a little bit back to what you said about the forward nights. I've had uh, Bok Bok and Iconica on the show in the past, and they talked about how that was a central place, like an essential place for uh, DJs to discover new music. Rhyme, obviously, a big influence at that party. Um, I'm wondering, what are your memories of, of being there at the forward parties, and how did that kind of impact your um career now yeah so the format of the parties was like four djs an hour each maybe like every thursday and sometimes it was on sundays so um you'd get to see that the latest productions like people yeah as it says forward so it'd be new music um entirely pretty much and um people yeah people effectively playing production sets or new music from their labels and um i guess (laughs) i guess that's how i got used to hearing a lot of music so i guess now people play the span of like 20 years or the last 30 years of dance music but for a long period of time i just was experiencing music as it was happening so like yeah like these these genres um dubstep and grime and uk funky it was like it's all about playing up front and keeping it moving forward like that's what the where the name came from i guess mm-hmm. um, but that also felt normal like it's hard to i guess when you're in it i knew it was special but it also just became normal like a normal kind of part of our urban experience yeah of course of course um for you was music always the plan like did you know obviously growing up like this is what i wanted to be or did that passion kind of form later on in life no it's 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 something that was at university it was like i started DJing, I thought I'd start DJing quite late in my late teens. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that um, were DJing already had been DJing from like 11 or 12. That was, that was, that was quite common um, in London at the time because UK Garage was so big and Jungle was so big here. Um, But people were starting from like sound system culture, reggae, like their dads were DJs. And it was like a, yeah, you can, if you met like black people in London, like everyone, it felt like it felt like everyone was a DJ or connected to a DJ in some way. Yeah, um, it really felt like it's something in the water here. But um, no, my 
um, I went to university and I did like business and wanted to like, it wasn't even I wanted to, I just thought that was like a way to go and just get like a normal job. And then I graduated in the year of the credit crunch in 2009. Mm. And it was just like this juncture, junction of like, okay, I could try and get a job, which I was failing at massively. And I was on Red FM at the time. I thought, okay, let me just double down on these ideas here and try and make something of this this music thing um, because th- this might be a short window of time where I have the opportunity to to build a career in it. Mm-hmm, of course. Oh, you say um, a lot of the DJs were learning to, uh, or were pretty much out there by like 12. Shoot, I learned how to DJ when I was like 20. <laughs> so now I feel old. Yeah, yeah, we're late bloomers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? There's, I feel like, um a lot of the veteran djs or whatever you want to call them often say that there's they're still learning right there's still so much to learn out there and so much to experiment with with all the new equipment that's coming out new music coming out constantly so it never feels like um you know just doing the same thing over and over again there's so much to explore um exactly so- in the in the like for, for like i guess 15 years i've been djing i started on vinyl then mm-hmm. It went to like Serato plus CDJs, then CD like CDs only, then USBs into like two thousands, and then now I've just um, I, you know I kind of had a break through the pandemic. I wasn't DJing at all because everything had stopped, and then it was like okay, now it's like three thousands. So it's like I've been through <laughs> how many different systems in that the short amount. I mean, it's a long time, but it's not that if you prior 15 years you would have just played on records and that was the only only thing so if you dj'd i guess from let's say 98 to 2007 you could have just played the records and that's it Mm -hmm. um 2007 um is when i properly got going um all the way to now you could have changed like six seven times easily Mm -hmm. i'm actually just starting to practice with some vinyl and that's just a, a beast in and of itself, having to like really understand your music and really listen uh, when you're transitioning. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a trip in a way, you know, like you, obviously you're lucky to have the BPM when you, when you're with the CDJs, but like, yeah, it really makes you closer to your music when you're um, mixing with the vinyl. I feel at least. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a different sensation. And I, I think, like it makes you DJ differently. I think, I think CDJs, um, I just do different things than I would do if I had records. And I think there's there's, there's pros and, and cons to that. So it's all good. Yeah, this is true. Um, let's talk about the emergence of Butters. And it is such an honor to be talking to you because let me tell you, I was a huge, still am a huge fan of Swindle's Funk and Grime EP. I can't tell you how much that was played on my USB, at parties. I mean, just so lovely. And then everybody that's on the uh, <laughs> is on the label or have contributed to the label, Flavor D, Royalty, uh, that was huge. And it's still huge, a big part of your story. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about the ethos of Butters? Yeah, so I started the label Butters in 2010 with my partner, William Skilliam. Um, and the idea was to kind of 
we sent a grime as like a club genre so at the time um, the MCs were kind of releasing mixtapes and the the, the the club culture wasn't attached to it we weren't really allowed to do raves here and club nights and the police were shutting them down mm. um, I mean it was like a racist policy I was just like uh, in London here just so black people couldn't really gather and do fun stuff um, but you know we wanted to power through that bring grime and that energy back to the clubs alongside you know, you know the other music that I was talking about before dubstep and funky and all this other stuff and um, we just I guess our core was like a producer based label so like you said Swindle um, who yeah who leans towards more like a, like a jazzy approach um, then Flavor D kind of, was kind of making Garage and, and Grime for MCs like Beats uh, Royalty who like started out with us too just making like yeah Beats for MCs and and you know becoming like a, a, a kind of star as a DJ like at the time the, the producers weren't like uh, at the forefront it was all about the MCs but we kind of wanted to to highlight the producers and our show on Rinse uh, me and Skillim show was mm-hmm. like a a showcase of the producer side of grime and then our club nights um kind of brought the mcs and the producers together so the producers and it would dj and then the mcs would be our get would be our guests whereas in most grime nights the mcs were the forefront of the show mm-hmm. everyone would go to see the mcs and when the mcs were finished it would be everyone just leave but at the butters nights it was like the djs were the stars and that kind of changed the balance of the 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 scene that's beautiful. Please don't tell me people had their phones out, uh, you know, recording the DJ set and not actually dancing. <laughs> no, no, like literally, I saw the the trait the change of like that being part of the culture. So, um, mm. our night started in two thousand and ten, and I have pictures that you know where you can you can gradually see phones coming into the to the nights, and then you can see one night in uh, February twenty thirteen. There's no one with their phone out, and then. Six months later, there's a night from um, November two, 2013 and you can see a few. And then the following year, um, May 2014, when Skepta's That's Not Me had come out, wow. and you can see all the phones out. You're like, okay, that's the change. So I see, you can see it from our documentation, like the how much that changed, like clock culture. And I was actually in the, like here we have that, um, when Smoking Ban started, mm-hmm. I remember the first weekend of that and how it influenced like people to go outside and smoke and change the dance floor completely. So I've seen shifts like that. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, it definitely does something. I, I honestly, I, I was just, um, you know, I normally go to nowadays here in the city and um, if you've ever, ever been there, they have a strict dance floor policy where you're not allowed to use your phone and I absolutely love it. You know, I feel like it keeps everybody engaged, keeps the DJ excited because, you know, you have to actually have people dancing and focused on what you're doing instead of just like mindlessly looking at your phone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some 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 places um, it's it's not like it would be hard to have like a rule, but um, I, I've kind of like had that communication with the audience and the community that we've got um, just don't do it and like don't stick the cameras in our face because it just makes us uncomfortable um and you know there's been there's been points where i've just stopped and like maybe got on the mic and said hey look we're only here for like four hours like let's just let's just (laughs) 
let's just turn <laughs> these things off and we'll, I'll play all the songs that you know everyone wants to hear and we're gonna have a good time but um we don't have to like capture it right it's fine and even like our photographers and videographers there's a point in the night where i will say all right you know let's down tools and just focus on you know putting on a good night for people Ooh, have to capture everything yeah this is very true was there one night in particular for you that you always remember to this day or hold true you know hold close to your heart to this day um maybe a, an event with butters or just an experience with the label in general yeah the early nights just because they felt like a celebration of being able to get the music out in the clubs in the first place. So I think one of the things that's lost in the, the story already is that how difficult it was to put on nights because, um, because of this police issue. And so when we actually got to do them, like a lot of the actual just artists in the scene would just become, would come to the nights and just be happy that there was actually a night on and it wasn't getting counseled by the police. So at the, the first few, the first maybe 10 that we did, were just like celebrations of the music and and um people were like really happy just to hear the music outside because it wasn't common at the time so um i guess that 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 is just normal now and um and the music is played more at other nights too um like more nights i guess now are multi genre or a bit more like genre fluid so mm-hmm. it's more common to hear so like grime tracks and dubstep tracks and punky tracks, but at the at the time when we were doing it, the 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 nights were a lot more uh, genre locked. So you would have like okay a dubstep night and it would play dubstep all night or drum and bass night it would play dubstep. Like it wasn't as as fluid as it is today. And DJs were you know they were a grand DJ or a dub dubstep DJ or a drum and bass DJ. But whereas today, all of the talent breaking through are definitely like more um, fluid. Mm-hmm. that's very true um just quickly to kind of uh t- to talk a little bit about what's going on with like club closures and yeah just police in general it's a big thing here also in the u.s there's a club recently in chicago called the post on the south side that got shut down out of nowhere like i think it was minutes before theo parish was supposed to go on uh and now they're just trying to sort things out with licenses and whatnot uh but yeah it is sad to see some of these like cultural like cornerstones in the club community get shut down or you know face violations and whatnot um yeah i'm wondering like what what to do about that issue you know yeah there's there's some of these things there's not a lot we can we can do all we can do is while they're there enjoy them that's how uh, that's how i view it all it every club space is temporary Mm -hmm. (laughs) every moment is temporary and and you know, all these squares, it's like time is the creative director. Like, the, you know, we can't even repeat the things that have gone past that they have a different meaning, different context. So while, you know, if someone comes to your city that you want to see, like that might only happen one time or that particular weekend that they come through, there might be a special reason why that night is is, is a better night than another. So um, I've missed certain shows and, and certain special nights. And I think, oh, uh, for no reason, for just like, I don't know, may I'll go next time. And then it didn't happen again, or the club closed, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I tell people, man, as much, as much live as possible, as much live as you can afford, or, or as want to consume, because it's, you can't take these things for granted. We should have learned that from 2020 and 2021. 
Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, ever since uh, the pandemic happened, I have just experienced such a huge shift, almost like a form of urgency. Like I've got to either go, <laughs> like I've got to go to the show. Uh, my FOMO has definitely become real for missing certain events. And even just like my drive in, you know, going after my goals, I said to myself, you know, not to get kind of uh, grim here, but I said to myself, if this was going to be my last year living, I'm going to make the most out of it. And I feel like I've really sort of run toward life with urgency ever since the pandemic happened. Uh, Hence why I'm doing the show and always, you know, emailing amazing people like yourself to chat. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Like I think everyone's lost like family members and friends and people close to them. And it's really like a stark like reminder of like our temporary, the temporary nature of life in general. So, um, yeah, like you, maybe you can see it with the project, the yellow squares, that there is like a uh, urgency or a speed or like a um, kind of directness that I have with it because, um, yeah, nobody knows what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Well, that's a great segue. I wanted to talk more about make the thing in the yellow squares. Um, I actually discovered the Yellow Squares over the pandemic. I mean, I had been following your music, but didn't, yeah, didn't look at the Yellow Squares until, um, you know, 2020. And there's so many different questions, so many different things that are being brought up with the Yellow Squares um, that I thought I'd take some time to just kind of ask you about some of the questions that you often propose to your your audience. But I guess before we go into the questions, <laughs> how did Make the Thing start and the Yellow Squares? Yeah, so the Yellow Squares are kind of born out of um, just my Twitter. My Twitter is like just a curious thread of um, ideas and just things that are on my mind and conversations that I have with my artists and peers. Um, that's people inside and outside of music um, but in particular so I started the Yellow Squares properly in like the summer of 2021 and it was when things were reopening here in London mm-hmm. so it was about like kind of questioning what what was still true um, things that people that maybe now decided to, to do music or take it a bit more seriously like things that I think they should know if they're coming in and maybe things that I thought if if I if I was trying new stuff that wouldn't be useful to me but might be useful to someone else, so mm-hmm. um, that's where it started, and then now it's become like an you know I guess an art project, a you know my personal visual language, it's become like a I don't know just a way of connecting with with people around the world and mm-hmm. and yeah just bringing people together. It's like it feels like. The, the the squares or the the writing that connects with people are things that everyone is feeling at the same time, um, and it feels like, you know, it's it's like everyone's voice, like the things that are particular to me don't can like don't do well as a square or don't, but mm. the things that maybe, um, are written in a way that people could hear themselves saying, mm. do well. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes total sense. I was going to say, I feel like you've really asked a lot of questions that probably artists are really, you know, yearning to get the answers to, but don't know who to go to talk to um, or don't know how to approach someone in the industry to ask. So 
the yellow squares really give artists like myself and so many around the world a platform to have an open dialogue about some of the you know infrastructural problems that are going on in the industry or ways to make things better so i really appreciate that um how how i mean how has these squares helped you i guess as an artist over these last couple of years um it's been life-changing it's been like a, a um a real like kind of rebuild of my confidence which i kind of lost through 2020 and the pandemic and it's like a big reset in terms of just going into a different phase of my life i'm 35 now um and just just being useful to i guess the scenes and music in a different way to maybe what i was before so i've always guess like lent my hand and helped where i could but this feels like the most useful thing i can be doing um for, for the scenes and the music and um it's definitely the it, it's weird because it's the lightest thing the easiest thing in the way that i've ever worked on but it's also like the the most impactful thing i've ever worked on wow. so it's it's it's, it's very it's, it's, it's strange in that sense it's something some of the some of the writing has taken you know 30 seconds and has made profound impacts make the make the thing was just a response to a dm about a question and then i just posted it and it didn't get a lot of likes but gradually i just kept on saying it you know close the app and make the thing and that's what seems to have connected with with people much broader than the electronic music community yeah or even just the um the phrase that you often say like close the app make the thing you know like that for me means so much um and i feel like i really learned that ability over the pandemic because we had no choice but to kind of be you know left there with our own thoughts <laughs> and to think about you know the lives that we wanted to be- build once we got out of that craziness so I was really off of social media or just not even letting anything distract me at that point. I was just kind of preparing and seeing, you know, well, how do I, I had always wanted to DJ, but I always kind of had that lingering thing in my mind. Well, how do I make this sustainable? How do I do this independently? Cause I don't know if I actually want to be attached to uh, a manager or any label of that sort. So those are all questions that you really bought up uh, with the yellow squares and yeah, they created so much great dialogue. So I wanted to dive into some of these questions, particularly about being sustainable in today's uh, music industry, uh, because I think it's possible, but there's obviously a lot of barriers facing so many people in this thing right now. Um, I'm wondering if you've kind of developed a approach to being sustainable as an artist over these last couple of years. What's worked for you? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not even sure. Like sustainability, that I'm looking for is just you know getting out of everyone getting out of their heads and sharing the ideas as they have them um, in and just a, whatever way is effective. So um, I don't think anyone or anything needs to last forever this is like just yeah reacting to your environment and putting out interest and stuff is just the, the kind of the core goal here and um like trying to think of things like long term and building like you know like yes this idea of a sustainable music career is like i think that's like an oxymoron like we're, we're doing something that is 
that is highly volatile and is is stressful at times and it's it's going to be challenging and that's kind of part of the art too um so like looking for looking for a comfort in this is maybe not my goal i know that that will be that for other people and that's completely fine but with this it's more looking for the peace in the chaos <laughs> and accepting the chaos for what it is yeah <laughs> yes definitely it can be chaotic at moments um i should ask are you you're a full-time producer dj and uh lecturer or do you have without going into too much detail other income streams that help support what you do yeah so um so the question so my day job is effectively like an artist manager but it's not all day every day um, so I manage uh, FAVD and DJQ Royalty, those those projects at the moment. Um, so that is yeah, working on the creative aspects of of their presentation. And William, my partner, um, Skillium, does the back end, so the logistics and the running of their artist businesses. Um, so that takes up time during the day, and then I work on my this project in you know in the other time. Um, and I do a bit of consultancy on the side. So work with some like management companies sometimes or some artists on projects. Mm-hmm. Um, then I do the lectures here and there, um, maybe a couple of months now or sometimes a bit more and get paid, paid to do those. Mm-hmm. And um, I still you know, have royalties coming from the, from the old bars records and stuff. So I have like a, 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 a very diverse set of, income streams which are all kind of small but steady and um i'm growing the the i guess the yellow square thing into a from a side project into a of a i guess a dominant part of my week or day or my income um so yeah so i do music full-time and have done music stuff full-time now for for just over 10 years for 13 years yeah, since 2010 yeah. See? Which is quite unique. yeah that's really beautiful um and yeah i feel like that is that is a part of the sustainability right like obviously music is the core of what you do but you found other things that are somewhat music related to or, or that are music related to support yourself and that's kind of like the the formula or approach that i'm trying to create with my own life as well you know i have djing that obviously brings in a certain amount of income, but I also write about music or write about entertainment, other things that I love. And that's a big part of my income as well. So I don't know, I kind of, as much as I wouldn't mind being a full-time DJ, I wouldn't, it's not like something that I'm, you know, pushing for, you know, like having this sweet or being in the, between the sweet spot of, uh, DJing and, and writing kind of works well for me and podcasting as well right I'm trying to like build this platform up hopefully it can generate some income but it's not something that I'm like you know pushing for <laughs> if that makes sense yeah I understand I think like um DJing as part of like your you know your work and your creativity and your exploration and making some money from it is is good uh, I think full-time DJing is 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 too it's it's very hard like I, I think <laughs> like I don't know if that should be the dream the dream is like yeah, like you said writing a bit of DJing and exploring other kind of creative aspects and being able to support yourself in a in a in a healthy way and none of this become like ruin your like 
relationship with music or enjoyment of dancing and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I'm, I say to people that are thinking about doing it in that way is that um, having like a day thing, whatever that is, whether that's part-time or something that you can keep you ticking over and then you have your creative projects. Some, you know, you don't make money from some that you do sometimes or whatever it's going to be. And then if something connects at a broader level, then cool, then you can dial it up. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you're enjoying it or what it is, you know? Yeah. So that, that, I know that sounds like a, like a thing like, Oh, well, it's all right for you to say, but, um, mm-hmm. my, I guess my, the, some of my, I guess most of the projects that I work on, as as you know the larger things are not like money generators but they're just things that i do that i enjoy so like the to say like the set on the lot radio for example i just did it for fun mm-hmm. isn't there's no there's no money motive but then you know, someone will book me to dj occasionally and that's nice it's not again like it's not what i'm setting up my whole existence around yeah. and that feels that feels comfortable after after doing the thing at a certain level you're like okay this is cool but I can do more with my skills and my ideas than just playing clubs at night yeah that's true um you're really lucky because you've got a really interesting viewpoint of the industry not only as a label head but as a artist manager uh producer and everything that you're doing at the moment um can you talk a little bit more about the I mean, the real reality of DJing full-time, because I'm sure that you've seen so much, um, you know, with your artists and managing them day-to-day. I mean, what are some of the challenges that folks could face if they do want to jump into this full-time? Um, just speaking from the to kind of UK point of view, like what I think would constitute being a full-time DJ is someone building the infrastructure around themselves to do it full-time. So it wouldn't be just playing gigs on the weekend for whoever wants to book you it would be literally starting the nights you know liaising with clubs and building the, the kind of rails that would allow you to do that and i guess a lot of people here and maybe maybe in the us too it's like you're looking for like an agent or a manager or something to set those things up for you but if you were a dj i would recommend really building those things up from, from scratch yourself or with a team or you know with a crew or collective so that's the the bit that I think a lot of people miss and what me and Skillium did. Um, our nights were, I guess, self-promoted and um, we had like a couple of different nights that we did and that's what was like our core. Um, those were our core earners and then our agent would book us like at, you know, festivals and other things when, when, we, got, when we got them. But that wasn't, that was like another little side thing wasn't the main the main things were actually just things that we created ourselves mm-hmm. um, but i think again i think that's just been lost in translation <laughs> or, <laughs> so if we never did the nights ourselves we wouldn't have a career so that's right. what I'm yeah you can't wait for anybody to give you an opportunity um exactly. yeah and, I, I'm, and it's i don't, I don't want to say it's because we did the work it's we were coming off the back of a, a point seen and a lot of interest in a commercial level of grime and and i guess like our club culture here is like is, is a lot further developed than say like um 
let's say the whole of America or something. Um, mm. And so there's a bit of scope to do that, but um, yeah, it was a it was a very like period of time mm. to be able to do that. And today, the, I guess why I haven't managed new artists and why I do the yellow squares to just to let people kind of work out for themselves because it would be really difficult to just to do that from from scratch today. Mm, um, there's a lot less venues there's a lot um, um, yeah there's a lot less venues and there's a lot more DJs so <laughs> Yo, tons um, another great question that you brought up on the yellow squares was do artists and DJs really need a manager and what is the function of the manager you know how do you work with them so that the artists or DJ feels like they're being taken care of and the ter- the team is also you know, taken care of as well. Um, I don't have a DJ, I don't have a manager, obviously. Um, and I haven't worked with any talent managers in the past, but um, this is something I'm often hearing in my community. You know, when do you know you need one? And then how do you work with one in the way that best suits your career and your needs? Um, can you offer some advice on that? Yeah, I think people have to be honest with themselves and like, think about whether they want to scale to a point where they could pay someone to make it worth their while to manage you. Mm. So uh, the example I always give is for a manager to make minimum wage, you know, you, they would have to make you a hundred thousand dollars if they're taking 20%. Mm. So think of it like that. So <laughs> to make it a hundred thousand dollars with music stuff would be very, very hard. And, um, as people don't think of it that way but I'm like well that's that's what it needs to be and if they're making minimum wage managing you then they're likely to have to do something else too to you know to pay their to pay their bills so they would maybe manage two people and go make two people hundred thousand dollars and that's even harder it's double hard <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean so um what I guess like the core of your question is like what should a manager what does a manager do or what should a manager do? If, uh, if I'm just making a specific to electronic music, again, it, I feel like it's building a a business around what the artist produces or what the artist's intention is. So, um, and it's not just getting someone gigs or it's not just um, getting someone brand deals or whatever it is. It's literally building an infrastructure that is, um, yeah, it's like robust, like, the things that you create you can put out there in the world yourself and um, make things happen mm-hmm. regardless of what the whatever the industry wherever it's at like if if you're hot or you're cold you've got the ability to make and share work and that, that's what I would, if i was looking for if an artist is looking for a partner i'd say can they help you make and share work at a you know, reasonable pace and build, help you build an audience and a business around what you do it's not about getting you stuff it's not about building relationships for you those are things that you have to do yourself mm-hmm. um and um i guess manager is probably not a good word for that it sounds i think that, that's like a more like, like yeah. a, a pop pop kind of like mentality <laughs> towards things and this is <laughs> yeah this is not pop music right so you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you also, or the community, both of you, but the community and you also uh, mentioned about the importance of managing your expectations, right? Like that the artist should come in with 
uh, a certain level of understanding of what the manager does and then vice versa, um, which I thought was really helpful as well. It can be hard to do in this sort of like social media driven era that we're living in. Um, because yeah, everybody wants that like instant success, instant gratification, but that's not always the case for some artists, you know? Yeah. For, for 99% of people, there's not, they're not going to get it straight away. And that's kind of part of the point. And, um, if that's your goal, then, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't help you in the yellow squares, can't help you either. So <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I get a lot of advice about the now and I understand but um, you know I, I try and I say to people you want to move with the urgency of now but also if you're trying to do this for 20 years or, or 10 years then you know some of the decisions that you're making today you gotta think about being happy with them mm-hmm. with the information you have 10 years down the line so yeah mm-hmm. yeah I definitely agree with that um you also brought up a really really beautiful question not too long ago about artists asking for help which can sometimes feel daunting especially for someone like myself who I know I might not seem like I'm shy talking to you right now but I'm extremely shy uh in person and sometimes it's hard for me to ask people for help because I don't want to seem like I'm you know bothering anyone or you know sometimes there's the club politics that gets involved and you have to be careful about certain things that you ask to certain people. Um, it's tricky, but yeah, the yellow, sp- the yellow squares definitely provide an outlet for people to feel comfortable to ask questions. So how do we promote more of that in the industry for people to feel comfortable going to managers, uh, club owners, and just asking questions about the industry in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be tied to getting an opportunity, but just, you know, any kind of dialogue about the industry. I think it, like it's, it's peer group first, maybe. I don't think it, it necessarily depends on the roles like that people hold. It might be just asking other DJs, like, hey, like, how does this work? And, or how do you, have you found this? Like, people would I'm surprised people don't even do that. Mm. Like people don't even ask their friends, like, hey, like, what was it like playing here? Or have you worked with this person before? Like, be surprised. Like, I see, you know, people that have got, like, say, like, in terms of management, like, maybe, like, not so good reputations and they still get to work of artists because no one really says they're not so good at their job or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just, just starting at the peer group, like, whoever your friends are and, um, and even talking about your work with people outside of music, because, you know, just looking at having out, an outsider point of view is is really healthy. And just people notice things that they'd be like, oh, have you thought about this? And sometimes you're like, of course, or no, for these reasons. But then there's other times if you just speak to someone that, say, works um, in the restaurant business, they'll just have a different perspective or someone that, drives an Uber like they'll just ask a different question and it make you think about it differently too and um, I think sometimes even the yellow squares there is like a tunnel vision that you know does this advice work at scale you know if I was talking to 10 people it might work but does it work when you're talking to 30,000 people Mm. that's what I think about a lot now you know, I think the biggest issue that can arise from asking a friend or a fellow DJ in the community about certain things is like, 
is that uncomfortable factor, right? For example, the topic of fees, people get really uncomfortable talking about money um, and they might not necessarily want to share their resources, which is, you know, I just got to be real about that. You should ask people about pay because you need to have like, a, I guess, a guide or like a, a roadmap to how you can make things work. So if I guess when people, when I came in, um, so like the DJs didn't get paid very much. So I was like, okay, well, if I approach it with, you know, most people are getting zero, then it's like how to build up from zero and prove the value. And I wasn't really able to do that. So I had to do the nights myself and prove the value myself. <laughs> and then go back to people and be like, hey, like we've sold this amount of tickets. So if you want me to play them, this is why. And it was able to kind of prove it with data. But I think most people, it's a bit harder to do. Right? But if you at least have an understanding of the, the why, say like a DJ gets $200 or $100, then it gives you a bit of a, a bit of a, space to think about the the value you can contribute beyond say like just mixing or playing the club yeah yeah definitely and, yeah that. and just having that conversation with whoever's asking you to play like hey like you're saying it's you know a hundred dollars for this set okay um cool that, that that sounds good for the first time we're working together but let me know how I can I can build up and like maybe play a later set or like to f just give you advice on the things I need to do. Like if you if you're feeling my work and do you know what I mean? Like just just yeah. dialogue, talking to people. Like it, it means something. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'm gonna try that approach. <laughs> um, but yeah, the yellow squares have taken you to a lot of incredible places over this last year. Um, New Zealand, Tokyo, not too long ago, and then you're going to be at Sonar Festival coming up, yeah. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so got Sonar Festival coming up, and uh, going to Ibiza in a couple of weeks, Ooh. and to Istanbul for the first time. So, um, so, yeah, some exciting trips coming up. And this again, this is not something that was planned or like um, I I could have architected when I was just putting out these ideas it was just that I was just putting them out and just just for my own exercise and experimentation and creativity and all of these nice things have happened with it and it's also kind of this feedback loop um, which I've, I've shared a, like an image of that the the DJ and the writing the lecturing the squares is like some feedback loop in itself so now that I'm kind of bringing the musical universe to it it should make more sense because people a lot of people didn't even know I was a DJ or part of the grime scene or anything like that. So yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about the feedback that you are getting for the lectures. Um how was the one in Tokyo? That wasn't so long ago. Um what was the response when you did the lecture there? Um it was, yeah it was awesome. Like the I guess there I've I have a history of, of going there for the past 10 years um doing shows so there was half audience from people that have come to shows before and then half like people that just know the yellow squares so and i could find that a lot um there's kind of a mixture of both um so it was like a kind of reintroduction i hadn't been there f since 2018 so it was like five years since i've been um which is a really long time and um it, yeah it felt good it felt like a bit of a homecoming and it was the end of a long trip that i've been on over the past three months so I've been to Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, Brazil, Jamaica, the US, and then 
then finished in Tokyo. So it was like quite a, yeah, <laughs> quite like a, quite a trip. And now I'm back in London. So yeah. I know you're probably still like trying to get your body adjusted from all the different time zones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I guess I should ask, there's been so many lovely questions on the yellow squares. Has there been one question in particular that, you know, you've gotten feedback about that has maybe made you think about your career or the industry differently? Um, everyone's journey is so different. So I, I guess I hear about journeys maybe at a scale that most people don't. So people say, oh, like, uh, I went to a school and learned techno and this thing and this thing happened and this incident happened and this me off for two years and then I came back and then I changed my name like I hear a lot of people's stories now in a way that I wouldn't have uh, like just in the club or something yeah. and that's been super interesting so I'm getting many different perspectives and it, I guess like as part of it that's like made me very grateful for my journey and I guess my experiences in music because they've been uh, positive and it's also like reinforced a uh, necessity of um you know, making positive spaces for people to kind of express themselves in or um yeah i guess like being a yeah. being a person that is holding all of this information so like you know i don't repeat anything that anyone says to me or i don't you know people are sending me confidential dms but you know even if they don't say they're confidential i don't don't repeat them anywhere so there's a bit of a there's like a big trust between and everyone else that I'm, I'm not taking lightly and um mm. i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say i enjoy that but it's just something that's come with this work which is um which is yeah just something again something that i couldn't have expected just starting it mm -hmm. that's really really beautiful um let's talk about the new album huge for you and has so many crazy features on this thing laced throughout um, had a chance to listen to the first two tracks bonkers <laughs> like so nice um tell me about it and I hear that it was recorded in one day yeah that's right so um yeah apart from the yellow square song the seven the other seven tracks were recorded in one day um so I made an album with an MC called jams um we wrote it over zoom um at the end of February um I, he was in London and I was in Thailand in a Muay Thai camp which sounds ridiculous, um, but that's just what it was. Um, we took apart um, all the ideas in the yellow squares. We kind of done, uh, we shared like alpha notes and we were writing down like, the, you know, how we can put together songs out of them. We kind of found maybe like about 10 concepts that we could dial down on. Um, we had maybe about four different Zoom calls, which we've recorded. And then, um, yeah, yeah, we, we picked out some beats. So um, some of the producers like Royalty, DJQ, uh, Blay Vision, Corey S F X X S Y X. Sorry, you don't call me S F X. Um, Hitman, Tigger, and Insomniac, Jack That, and uh, another guy called Geisha. So um, I haven't met most of them, <laughs> which is kind of cool too. Um, it's all quite fresh. We did it very quickly and now um yeah we've, we've dropped the first single close the app which is crazy fun and the next single um will be out in in april too so we're doing 
single in April, single in May, or album out in June. Mm. And then uh, it's like the beginning of the musical universe. So this is like the first, hopefully, of many projects that are inspired by the squares. Mm-hmm. And on this project, um, is it going to be kind of an ode to your grime roots or is there a little bit of everything on this? No, this this is this is starting in, in grime, um, because that, I don't know. It just felt like the right place to start, and yeah. um, I've, it lent itself well to the way I'm creating too. It, it's, it's it's fast. It's um, I don't know the kind of like the sense of humor and the bars. Like I can um, I can channel myself through that very easily. So that's why it was recorded in a day as well. It was like the approach of it being like a live set more than like a polished recording. It's like, it's not like, it's not, it's not meant to be perfect. It's just meant to capture our thoughts in February, 2023. And um, maybe over time, we'll add some more songs to this project um, as we get ideas or, or maybe not, who knows? Like with this thing, uh, it's not overly calculated. It's it's just ideas and um, an experiment. More than you know, I'm not trying to make thriller. Yeah, this <laughs> is just yeah, just an extension of the way I'm creating the the yellow squares. Um, it's been so admirable to see you do this publicly you know like see you really just like launch your ideas in real time which is a lot it's really hard for a lot of people to do right because there's always the judgment factor you feel like people may not like what you're going to put out um but it's not honestly until recently where i also started to have this approach of like this public experiment just see if people like the podcasts keep putting them out hopefully they resonate with people but to me it feels good um how long did it kind of take you to 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 get to this approach that you have now of just putting it out putting the work out and just letting it be because that's a hard thing to do yeah i mean it's at the core of our music so like dub plate culture and pirate radio is like well like by experiments experimenting and you know i used to be on the radio every week so you would just be trying stuff out the shows were never perfect um, we'd be trying out mixes that you would later use in the club. We'd be playing songs, and you'd be like, "Actually, this song isn't very good," but you've made it out. It wasn't <laughs> so. Like it was that was part of the process and um, figuring it out. And now, I guess because I'm not under the pressure of, I guess, just say like the DJing bit being my 100 of my income, I don't need this to 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 take me to the next level. So there isn't a pressure around the project. So it means that I can approach it completely differently mm-hmm. and that has its own benefits too. So um, the when, like, like you said about the podcast, primarily, if you just look at it as just a conversation with, with someone, then that's, then you've achieved everything you need to achieve. And then, yeah. then you put it onto the internet. That's like, okay, cool. That's another bit of an achievement. And then if other people listen to it and enjoy it, then it's another level of achievement. So by the time you've, it's all said and done you've like achieved like four things but even if you just did the one just had the conversation that was good enough mm. um a lot there's a lot of people that probably want to do the same thing as you and they're like oh how did you how did you reach out to elijah and you're like i just asked and he's, he replied and that's it <laughs> most things are that simple 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is really true, honestly. But yeah, you can imagine how many people would, would probably never send the email or like, yeah, never close the app and just make the thing in general, right? So that's really, really cool, man. How was the guest lecturing position going at London School of Oriental and African Studies? Because that was huge for you as well. Yeah, that's just um, come about. Uh, I've been kind of just going places I've been invited for the past year, um, just out of curiosity mainly. And then, um, yeah, so asked the university, um, a, a guy called Casper Melville, uh, who's um, invited me to to lecture there before, to guest there before. Um, they have a program called the Community Fellow, um, where um, they kind of nominated a bunch of people that they want to bring closer to the university. And um, yeah, we've gone in and done like, lectures and um, I, I haven't been around for a few months, but I'm going to go back and do some interesting, um, yeah, I guess, new collaborations with them. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's still early days and um, I have like a lot of uh, feelings towards like higher education and academia in general that I want to, I guess, address or like c contribute something positive to so hopefully um, that platform can be like my space to to do that because um, my 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 particular university experience wasn't so positive. So again, I want to put something back in that is good and useful for the people that are going. Mm -hmm. Dang, I wish I could sit in on all those lectures. <laughs> um, are you going to be coming stateside again anytime soon to do one or? I, I hope so. Um yeah, I hope so. Um, I, the reason I was in the US just now was because I was um, with Flavor D and doing my management work with her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would I would like to come and come and do that. This is why I need to build out more of the project. It, it's I don't think it's enough to just come and talk. It's like uh, it probably needs to be the talk and the DJ set and and other bits uh, alongside. Um, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm just working on producing more work. That's the priority. And um, mm -hmm. I think when when there's um, when I've made a good enough case um, for gathering people and finding the right people to produce the event or whatever it's going to be, then um, then I'll make it happen. <laughs> Close the app, make the ting. Close the app, make the ting. Close the app, make the ting. Don't prolong and elongate the ting. Close the app, make the ting. Close the app, make the ting. Close the app, make the ting. Cause scrolling your life away ain't the ting. I just done my doom scroll formula. I didn't think I was gonna see something mad. If you do yours, we're coming out of the interview between me and Elijah. And right now we're listening to one of the songs off the album called Close the App. Uh, a saying that he often uh, has plastered in his yellow squares, close the app, make the ting. You know how hard it was for me to put this podcast together? I got to tell you, <laughs> with all of the, you know, distractions and, you know, things that have been going on in my life right now, it has been hard to um, focus and, you know, you're worried about so much that, you get lost, you know, you, you don't know how to put the thing together or where to start. Um, but I finally got this creative surge in me and I just knew deep down in my heart I needed to, to get this episode put together and get it out to you guys because it wouldn't have sit right to just not do it. Um, but I identify with that saying so hard, you know, like even in those moments of burnout, or those moments of fear, you've got to make the ting and just 
close off all of the distractions. And that's why I really love the Yellow Square Project so much. It gives you inspiration in those moments where you're feeling like, I don't know what to say, or I don't think I have anything to say, or I'm scared to say or tell people what it is that I'm trying to do as an artist and with my craft. Um, yeah, and some of those Yellow Squares have really helped me rethink my approach to networking in the industry, DJing, and yeah, club management, just getting these ideas out of my head and sharing the content that I have. So if you're an artist in any capacity, I'd really suggest reading um, Elijah's content on his Instagram or even watching his lectures on YouTube because uh, the Yellow Squares Project has given him the opportunity to do lectures globally about some of the ideas that he's had presented on Instagram. So definitely check it out. You can find him on Instagram at Elijah, E-L-I-1-A-H. Um, and yeah, look out for Make the Ting later this month. It comes out June 30th. I've listened to the entire project from front to back and I can confirm it is indeed a bop. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's it for now, my friends. I'll be back in August hopefully in August with more episodes. Um, but thank you so much for listening to all of the shows. Hopefully you've learned something from the last uh, several podcasts that, uh, that I released. If you're new to club management, you know, we got a whole archive, okay, on SoundCloud, Buzzsprout. Look it up. Go back, listen to all the gems that have been dropped by all of the incredible guests that we've had on the podcast. And again, I plan to come back with some more great stories to tell. I just need a couple of months to recharge and really devote my time to some of these um, amazing projects that are coming down the pipeline now and to, you know, take care of my family. We're going through it. So I love you. Thank you so much. Until next time.